Hello and welcome all to a a thrilling chapter of Thronderdome, or set of chapters, I should say. You are listening to the only Star Wars podcast worth a fig. Uh, definitely the only one taking the kind of uh, precision scholarly, one would almost say Talmudic approach to Timothy Zahn's masterful Thrawn Trilogy, the official continuation of the Star Wars saga. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Dottie, joined, as always, by the uh, depraved, defrocked Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. Uh, Ronnie, how are you feeling tonight? Feeling all right. We actually got some pretty big Star Wars news to talk about on top of the show. That's true. We do need to lead off with the big, uh, the big Star Wars news, which is also big Thrawn news because the big Star Wars news is about the guy who put Thrawn in a uh, kind of live action cartoon. I think. I guess. Um, yeah. Anyway, David Felony. We were you. We all love and remember uh, him. He's come up on the show before. Sorry, Dave Filoni. We won't make fun. Um, apparently, he dip has been shit with elevated. The cowboy hat. The, <laughs> the Star Wars dipshit with a cowboy hat. Um, and no, I'm not talking about Cad Bane. Huh? All right. Um, <laughs> Megan will appreciate that one. Uh, but uh, no, so apparently he has been, this is the guy who's in charge of all of the Disney Plus uh, Star Wars series that alternately enrapture and enrage uh, fans, I guess. Um and so he has now been elevated to basically co-commander of the Star Wars universe uh, with Kathleen Kennedy. Of course, Kathleen Kennedy, longtime handler of the Star Wars properties back since uh, Disney bought him. And actually, a long term, I didn't know this. She's a co-founder of Amblin Entertainment with Spielberg. I didn't know she was like that that much of a, a, a honcho in the biz. Um, Unlike a lot of Star Wars podcasts that are that are hosted by cool guys, we don't have really anything bad to say about Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> I do not know enough about what has happened to have anything. The only bad thing to I'll say. say about Kathleen Kennedy is she's definitely someone who took a movie franchise and made it a TV franchise. <laughs> so I can see why they decided to switch up leadership a bit. Yes, yes. And and to let the TV guy take the helm, which is always a great idea for your Yeah, for I, I always thought to myself watching those <laughs> new Star Wars movies, I wish they looked more like TV shows. <laughs> I wish they had more scenes of characters kind of not even looking at each other and sort of reciting dialogue ponderously that turns out to be a reference to a cartoon that I haven't seen. I understand these movies too well. I think I need to have a lot of uh, crap from cartoons that goes nowhere lodged in here. <laughs> I, I I am, for one, looking forward to it. This does open the door for the, the likelihood of Grand Admiral Thrawn appearing in an official Star Wars feature film instead of this... Or a uh, TV movie, project. who knows? Maybe they'll do a new holiday special. You know they should. They should do the a new Thrawn holiday, holiday special. special. The Thrawn holiday special. Where did the Chissa celebrate in December? Uh, well, I guess it's, it's not Life Day. It might be... Uh, oh, shit. Really... And, dude, it's the perfect, like, fucking, like, wraparounds. You could have, like, Thrawn analyzing uh, various cultures by how they react to holidays. And then you could just have, like, segments of, like, you know... What's going on on Chewie's planet? What's going on on Tatooine and shit like that? That is a really good... That is a really good framework. That is a really good premise. 
See, we let, okay. Let's get on the horn with David Felony, because I think note to self: write letter in, in owns blood to Dave Felony. <laughs> to just give you an idea of like the kind of guy we're talking about, there was this wonderful quote in the Variety, or it was either Variety or Vanity Fair, or something started with a V. Uh, kind of the big article that, that was Fair. going around about this Variety Fair. Um, uh, here we go. He described his responsibilities as understanding the intent of the filmmakers and being a resource to them based on his mentorship under Lucas himself. And and that's true. We should we should remind everybody, George Lucas himself picked Dave Felony out of like a bunch of cosplay nerds at a con and said, you, you're going to be a Star Wars guy now. Hey, you asshole with the cowboy hat. <laughs> I like the cut of your jib, he said, straight, straightening his bellow. Bellow, bolo. Ah, my joke is ruined. Anyway. Um, that makes you look taller. That gives you more authority. <laughs> but uh, based on the mentorship of Lucas himself, and his years spent steering Clone Wars, Rebels, and Ahsoka. Literally hours now of Star Wars storytelling I have done, he said, before pausing to rethink his syntax. See? I even phrased that like Yoda. I wanted and, to hit him so hard when and I And there, that. I think, is the problem... <laughs> And we've talked about it before, like, George Lucas is a guy who watched, like, a bunch of samurai movies and old serials and gangster movies and then made Star Wars. You can't make Star Wars if all you do is watch Star Wars. It's just not going to happen. Also, I have a sinking suspicion that George Lucas has had sex. (laughs) That's the secret sauce behind all this. But that concludes that concludes our uh, our news hour. Dave Felony, uh, we salute you. We uh, follow you. To yeah, the I, the I guess we have to be like slightly optimistic about these this news, if only because it slightly increases our chances of seeing uh, the the menagerie of of Air of the Empire and at all uh, created characters. Yeah, and kind of chopped and screwed <clears throat> because you can't do the actual. Heir to the Empire story because you don't have yeah Luke Skywalker instead of like Solo. instead of Luke <laughs> instead of Luke Han and Leia why not a bunch of jerks from the cartoons we never heard of yeah and then you can have some jerk who is the son of a person from the cartoon but he has the name of Han Solo's kid for some reason it's yeah, a let's, really let's uh, let's let's follow the adventures of Ezra and <laughs> Sabine and all of our. All of our favorites. Well, um, but no, they're not our they're not our favorites. Our real favorites. And then it'll be are... great when we and then when it, when the movie comes out, we'll judge it solely based on how it departs from the canon of the Zahn uh, trilogy. Oh, that is the single rubric I will ever apply to Star Wars media set after the events of Return of the Jedi. You're just gonna that hear is... the the phrase "hidden fade" on a fucking big screen. Uh, theater, <laughs> and you'll you'll just start tears will start streaming down your face, and you'll be you'll <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll be we'll we'll see this together in the theaters, of course. You'll 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 look to me and say, "Cinema's back." Yes, yes, I'll be there, tears streaming down my face, and I'll look, I'll, I'll lean over to you, and I'll whisper, "Dave Felony did it. He somehow managed to make it apparent on screen that someone's stomach tightened." This is better than Coco. <laughs> but anyway. The famous movie Daniel cried during. Uh, yeah, all right. You don't remember. Uh-huh. That's the 50th time you brought it up on the show. Uh, we, don't need to, we don't need to go into it again. But what we do need to go into 
is freaking The Last Command, the third and final volume in the Thrawn trilogy. And we are in the third and final third of the third and final volume of the Thrawn trilogy. We are at chapter 22, and things are heating up. They are really, uh, they're going along at a clip uh, as the sort of, as, as the sand is slipping through the hourglass that <laughs> Mr. Zahn keeps we, on his we desk. Are, we are so far into the third book that I was almost thinking about whether or not we're, we have two episodes left or one episode left. Because we're going to have five chapters in total left. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're going to, we'll, well, we'll do, we'll do two. Uh, yeah. Uh, to, to break those up and then have our and have our concluding thoughts on the short uh, final recap episode and, and our concluding thoughts about the trilogy. So I want you, I want you to start working on your essay for that one, buddy. Um, we're having a final Dictionary.com exam. <laughs> defines Timothy Zahn as guy who lives in Tampa or is from Tampa or lived in Tampa at the time. We're not quite sure where he's. We got to find out where he's spent based a, out of. Spent a week there one night. And wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> this is yeah. The Thrawn trilogy is based on his adventures in Tampa. Uh, <laughs> this should really just be called Fear and Loathing in Tampa. You know, originally the the Emperor's Storehouse was called Mount Tampa, uh, but uh, the editors made him make that a little less of a reference. Um, speaking of the Emperor's Storehouse, uh, we open up chapter twenty two with Captain Peleon uh, on the bridge of the Chimera, receiving reports from Mount Tantus, stating that General Covell has arrived on Wayland, but refused to take command until morning. While Peleon puzzles over that, a hollow transmission comes through from Wayland, a Colonel Salid, or Salad, I guess. Uh, Peleon takes the call on the bridge hologram pod, just as Thrawn and Rook step onto the bridge, a quarter-sized hologram of a nervous officer appearing. Selid reports the sudden death of General Covell. Medics suggest that, quote, large portions of the general's brain had simply shut down, end quote. Uh, brain tissue does not simply shut down, Colonel, says Thrawn, in an instant classic line that I would have underlined in a paper copy. And I know what you're thinking. No, General Cavell did not watch an episode of The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. There's actually a completely <laughs> different explanation for why parts of his brain just uh, shut down. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. Um, Selad further reports that a company of soldiers that were in the same, you know, that were on that same landing um, have been dispersed around the mountain. These were Cavell's last orders. Selad had tried to turn command over on their landing, but that's when Cavell refused, then had a private word with his troops from the Draklor in the mess hall. Remember, he got there on the Star Galleon Draklor. Uh, Draklor is such a stupid fucking name. It's, it's really one that should have had a second pass, as was so much in these novels. Could have stood like, a second like pass. That's like the fucking Dungeons and Dragons thing he created when he was eight. <laughs> the draft war. He had to. He had to work it in. Cabeoth uh, had been at Covell's side the entire time, muttering, but now is residing in the old royal chambers. Cabeoth's uh, soldiers acquired gear and explosives from a supply room and uh, familiarized themselves with the layout of the base before heading out into the forest around the mountain. Uh, Thrawn presses Selad for more details, and Selad explains that Covell wasn't anything like he expected. He just seemed tired and distant. Thrawn asks to be patched through to the hologram pad in the Emperor's chambers to speak with Kabeoth. And instead of the usual quarter-sized figure, full-body figure, a huge image of Kabeoth's face glares out at them. 
I see you've discovered the Emperor's private hologram setting. <laughs> and this, I thought, was incredibly stupid. Um, I think because I, I see where Zahn got this. Because the the only times that we see the Emperor communicating via the little hologram thing is in Empire Strikes Back. And he's like, and he's a big face talking to Darth Vader, right? And every other time someone's a little hologram, they're like a little standing figure who's about quarter size. Ergo, Timothy Zahn decides, the Emperor must have a unique private hologram setting that he uses. <laughs> so Kabayoth is going to use it too. I just love that Kabayoth is messing with the hologram setting the way a baboon messes with a camera if you give it a camera. <laughs> And Wasn't there that big story about like the monkey that took a photo of itself and it's like, is it possible for a monkey to copyright a photo? Yeah, well, I think it was determined that the the photographer whose photo whose whose camera was snatched by the monkey cannot claim copyright on that photograph because it was the monkey who took it. Um, and it's also her, a wonderful I document. Love her legal system. I mean, everything about uh, copyrights, property law, it, it all makes a lot of sense. And it's good that we have, you know, uh, an armed, occupying army enforcing all that. Um, but Three but this photos is, for monkeys. This is not the time to get into uh, the radical politics of the, the diggers sect of the English Civil War and their, uh, their anti-propertarian values. Um, it's time to talk more about the wars, man. Uh, Thrawn and Kabaoth. Accuse each other of betrayal, with Thrawn demanding to know what happened to General Cabell, and Cabeoth demanding the removal of the Asalamiri in Mount Tantus. Cabeoth breaks first and says that Covell was his to do with as he pleased, as is everything in the Empire. And Thrawn has heard enough, switches back to Colonel Selid, and orders that Cabeoth be put under house arrest in the royal chambers, that none of the troops that left the mountain under Cabell's orders be allowed back in. Do you think part of Thrawn's decision making is like well, even if we get him out of the throne room, he's the stink is going to be there anyway. So we might as, <laughs> we might as well just, it's just, just cut our give losses. Up on, give up on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that dirty bathroom's been everywhere in that uh, in that the the royal chambers at this point. He's just been stinking up the place with his robe. I mean, it's just awful. Uh, Thrawn muses about Kabayoth's usefulness to the Empire coming to an end, but floats the idea of cloning him and bringing up the clones more or less normally as children rather than force-growing them in the vats. Uh, but that will have to wait. That, that charming thought of Thrawn being dad to a bunch of Kabayoth babies will have to wait until after the rebel attack on Bilbringi, of course, which drives Palaean to exasperation again, as all their information definitely points to Tangreen as the target. Thrawn says he's aware of the evidence, but nevertheless, the attack will be at Bilbringi. And to that end, the Chimera sets course to be there when it happens. We cut now. I want to go back mm. to the prospect of mass cloning Kabaoth in Please. order to have, like, a children, a village of the damned of, of, uh, of Kabaoth clones for, for Thrawn to, to have influence on her. For one thing, Kabaoth's already a clone, so isn't, like, cloning a clone... Aren't you, like, dealing with diminished material at that point? Yeah, it's like Xeroxing the Xerox. You know, it starts... You start getting like, pretty like, lossy. Or, like, taping a, 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 a tape or something. Sure, sure, sure. And then, just... 
That seems like Thrawn is just running out of ideas. It's like, okay, how do I get myself <laughs> out of this jam with Kabath? Oh yeah, I just have some small children versions of him. Because that clearly was, it was know. the cloning process that made him crazy. Not, I don't know, his general... The fact that he's been... <laughs> the fact that he's been like a, a dictator for like 30 years right, in the middle right. of nowhere. Like he could have just gone crazy because he didn't have enough... He didn't have enough contact with other people. That's a good, that's I, a good point. And that's, and that's solved. That's solved I, I by just raising. Don't, I don't think that clone madness is in the DSM, you know. <laughs> but they see that's also solved by. So if clone madness is caused by like the forced growth or whatever, then or if his madness was caused by you know being the lonely dictator, that both of those are solved by creating a whole classroom full of them to interact with and be social with each other. It's like the boys from Brazil, only with uh, a guy who was supposed to be. Uh, uh, ben Kenobi this entire time. They do they do explain later in this uh, about why Kabeath might be insane. Yeah, but, we'll we'll get to that, and I well we'll we'll cover it. <laughs> but this this chapter I this chapter goes is so like plot heavy that I only have one note for it. And, <laughs> And it's in this section about uh, wedging the the gang of characters I don't care about. At yeah, the, Mumbry, the mum the Mumbai stove cantina, Mumbry Storv cantina. Yes, uh, Wedge is nursing a beer at Mumbry Storv. We cut over to there. He's sitting with Jansen and Hobby, uh, who are two other members of Rogue Squadron. As the younger crowd filters out, and the real desperate scum start filling the tables. Which is their cue to head out. I just want to correct Daniel. He doesn't. He's not drinking a beer. He's draining from a cup. I mean, what what else am I supposed to think is in the cup? You know. Again, we're gonna to have to watch the original Star Wars to see if beer is <laughs> in there. I don't think like, there is. I think if you we might ever be drinking hot chocolate, if we ever spot uh, Harrison Ford surreptitiously like burping in a scene, I think we can confirm that there's beer. Um, I I wouldn't doubt it if uh, Harrison Ford had a flask that he kept in his jacket. <laughs> I would dearly hope so for his sake. Anyway, um, when, this is a fun a fun touch. Wedge has a hard time finding a coin to pay for his drinks, fumbling around in his stupid civilian pouch. But uh, it wouldn't do for Rogue Squadron to be all kitted out in their New Republic gear. Is there that much functional difference between a civilian coin purse and a military issue coin purse? Also, I, I love how he's talking about distinctive Rogue Squadron patches like they're the fucking Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> I just had the imagination of like someone gets kicked out of Rogue Squadron and they have the choice of uh, of blacking out their tattoos or burning them off. <laughs> There, uh, there was reports uh, from a uh, a Twin Peaks restaurant of a shootout breaking out between Rogue Squadron and Gold Squadron. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but as they're making their way out, they are blocked by a stumbling, staggering drunk. But this is no ordinary drunk. No, it's a ruse perpetrated by someone who knows Wedge, but has him at a slight disadvantage. The man gives him a hint. That they have faced a Star Destroyer together, and Wedge puts it together that this is one of Card's men, Aves. Uh, Aves bids Wedge and company to join him in a darkened alley a couple doors down from the Mumbry Storv. 
And there they wait until a walrus face walks by. And uh, has it <laughs> has I love literally it so much. The, the 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 line is literally a walrus faced Aquilonian, because no one knows what a, what an Aquilish is, but everyone knows who walrus face is. Um, uh, but he walks by and hesitates barely when he glances in the alleyway, and then cards guys go and knock him out with a blackjack or something, and explain that he was an imperial spy. Hey, thanks for the assist, guys. Ugh, but what Wedge can't explain to Aves is that they were supposed to be spotted and reported by Imperial spies. Because this is part of the tan green deception. Ugh. I tell you, you can't get good help these days. Um, My one note in this chapter is Wedge observes that his evening has been shot completely to flinders. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Uh, no idea. I'm. I guess it's. Uh, what, it's a Star a Wars thing. A, a small object of some sort, I guess, so that something can be blasted into it. Um, but Abe says I, I don't they know can... why you wouldn't just use pieces because I'm pretty sure pieces exist in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> we'll have to see. Um, as, by the way, listeners, Ronnie and I have been spending a lot of time in our conversations with each other, talking each other up to actually do the uh, audio commentary over Star Wars and New Hope, where we point out what exists in Star Wars. Uh, and I, I really think we're going to have to do it at this point. I think um, we're just going to have to get super baked one time and just waste two hours <laughs> of our lives. That is absolutely the way it's going to have to happen. Oh, now I'm looking forward to it. Um, Abe says that they can pay him back for this good deed by letting him know when the operation is going to start so that their heist plan can be timed perfectly. Wedge thinks fast and takes this as an opportunity to pass on disinformation, telling Aves that, yeah, he'll get the information, but mm, if I don't get back to you in, uh, let's say, 28 hours, don't expect to hear from me at all. Aves accepts this and lets Rogue Squadron guys go. So if he's clever, he'll assume that Wedge is leaving in 28 hours, which would comport with traveling to Tangreen for the strike. So everyone's kind of double bluffing their way through this, uh, and Wedge is hoping that maybe some of that gets back to Imperial Intel. Aves is a character that's been with the the trilogy since pretty much the start, and I would say the only characterization I have for him so far is can be confused for an alcoholic bum. Yeah, so far it's like the really... I mean, at least Chin has his stupid accent. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, at least Chin is is arguably a racial stereotype. <laughs> we just don't know which race. <laughs> Aves just seems to be the guy that gets uh, unfortunately compared to Mara Jade. I was going to say, the only thing we know about him is he's not as good as Mara Jade. <laughs> which, you know, hey, who is? She's amazing. Um, but that concludes chapter 22. And we told you these were breezy. I mean, this is really, you know, it, it's a lot of plot, so we're kind of, we're, we're, we're clicking along here. So it's chapter 23. Uh, Princess Leia is uh, going through JSTOR, trying to look up cloning science articles. But uh, I knew you'd love this fucking beginning of the chapter. <laughs> it, it does, it does. It, okay, here we go, here we go. It was beginning to look like the research librarians had been right. If there was any information on the old Clone Wars cloning techniques still in the old Senate library, it was buried away so deeply that no one would ever find it. I love that this is again, again... You just, Princess... read, you just read the sense it was beginning to look like the research librarians had been right, and then you I, 
You just went. I was yes. I was. Like, I uh, fist Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. I was hooting. I was hollering. I love this. this is the second example in the trilogy of Leia second guessing the librarians. Because if you recall from uh, Dark Force Rising, when she went to the Wookiee home planet, uh, she there she, there was an aside where she had gotten into an argument with the librarian about the facts and figures about how tall the trees were, because it couldn't possibly be true. And then later, it turned out, of course, it was true. So Le- Leia is probably one of those library patrons who, like, the librarians try to look busy when she walks in. <laughs> I think. Um, we not all that know we do those, that, don't we, people? <clears throat> we don't. Um, no, we are. We are there and available to serve every member of the public, no matter how um, aggravating they might be. Come on, um, you don't have to blow up smoke. Blow smoke up my ass. You can tell the truth about libraries. The truth about libraries is that we actually genuinely do do that. Uh, we'll joke about it or whatever, but it's it, it genuinely is like if you come in and you have library business to conduct, we will help you uh, no matter how obnoxious you are. So, what about using the computers to jack off? That we have to draw a line about. So you can be the nicest guy in the world, but if you're using my computers to jack off, buddy, you're out of here. Oh, gee, I thought this was America. Guess not. Fucking... Fucking Soviet states. <laughs> that's, that, that'd be a good bit. Like the guy who who's a libertarian, but about jerking off at the library. Specifically, specifically about jerking off at the library. Yeah. Single issue voter. <laughs> oh God, they're probably out there. Um, but then we had a we had a fun moment there. Uh, she feels Jason stirring awake in the force and goes to pick him up. And cradle him as he smiled his wonderful toothless smile. Now, all right, timeline time. These babies can't be more than a few weeks old, given what we know of how everything has proceeded. Which means they are not yet old enough to be capable of actually producing a smile. That's just not something babies do until they're six to eight weeks old. Oh, um, it's baby expert Daniel. I have had a baby, and I and I read about this. So what what probably happened? To <laughs> I love that. Jason... I love that first, your first. Your first is like, well, I actually have had a baby, but more importantly, I read about it <laughs> in the baby journal. In the in the journal of uh, baby sciences, it's uh, it says that, well, if you see that expression in a in a newborn baby, they're probably working gas through their tummy. So. There you I like it. that. I like that the twins have been such a non-factor since their birth that I forgot they had such stupid names. <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, Jason spelled dumbly." Jason and and Jaina. Uh, well, Winter enters with a hot pot of spiced paricha, and they talk about the state of the asteroids. Uh, Bell Iblis thinks they may have gotten them all at this point, but Drayson and Mon Mothma disagree. With her research into cloning hitting a wall, Winter suggests perhaps Jedis can use the Force to guide them to the right archive. Finally, the Force is useful for something, and that something is archival research at the library. Um, God damn it. <laughs> Valeia says that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> but right then... Even uh, the sin- Force is no match to the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> Uh, even Jedis need some help finding what they're looking for in the stacks. I mean, if, I mean, I would just imagine Leia getting frustrated and just destroying the card catalog. All those cards <laughs> going everywhere. Well, that would require there to be paper 
in Star Wars, so we know that's not going to happen. I didn't say the cards were made of paper. They could be made out of anything. Oh, they could be microfiche. Yes. Yeah. Um, Central Communications chimes in to say that uh, Leia has a call from the freighter Wild Card. Leia accepts the call, and there's Talon Card with his cool, well-modulated voice, as the text puts it. Uh, Card is calling to make an offer on some semi-rare technology. They discuss the possibility of Card landing, which Leia says is an absolute no-go. But then Card brings up Mara. Leia buys herself a little time by insisting that they can't discuss this on an open channel. So Card suggests they go find Ghent to set up a line with Card's proprietary encryptions. A few minutes later, uh, Ghent, Leia, and Garm Bell Iblis are all huddled around the comms to talk turkey. Now, Leia explains to Card about the Imperial Commando break-in and Mara being under arrest because she's under suspicion with her past as an Imperial agent having become known. Um, Card requests to speak with her, but Leia knows it's not possible as she is not allowed, uh, or Leia says it's not possible as she's not allowed external communications. Card then insists to know why he can't land, and Bell Iblis reluctantly nods to indicate that Leia can spill the beans about the asteroids. And this is another thing that I didn't realize was secret. Like, are they keeping it secret from the whole population of Coruscant why there's a total lockdown? On ships coming in and out? It's just completely... Like, I this, think they're this... keeping quiet because it's embarrassing. I mean, I guess it is embarrassing. Yeah, that's true. We There's got, just all this stuff that's like... A, we got tricked by a purple-blue man. Like, somehow... Asteroids. Somehow it's a secret that Luke Skywalker is Darth Vader's son, so much that Mara Jade, the person who's in the information trading business, did not know that. I mean, it's just... It beggars belief. Um, well, his name isn't Luke Vader now, is it? Well, that's a good point, but everyone knew that Luke Darth Vader used to be Anakin Skywalker, right? Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like knowing Bob Dylan's real name. I guess there are a lot of people know it, but it's like, <laughs> you actually do anything with the information? No, not really. Not really. That's true. Um, I'm just imagining like fucking dipshit pedants or nerds on on what whatever social media space has. It's like. Hey, you know that Darth, Darth Vader's real name is Anakin? <laughs> oh, because Darth Vader is his stage name. Uh, yeah, he had, he had to make it more... He needed to make it sound less Jewish. He had to sound less ethnic. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, uh, McCard says, Interesting. I'd heard about the Empire's hit and fade, but there hasn't been anything about at all about any asteroids. Most of the rumors have suggested merely that you'd suffered severe damage and were trying to cover it up. That sounds like the sort of story Thrawn would circulate, Bellibus growled. A little jab at our morale to keep him amused between attacks. He's oh, adept no at post office. <laughs> He's adept at all aspects of warfare, Card agreed. <laughs> I love it. It's like He's not even here. Why are you why are you complimenting him? Why 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 are you just blowing him <laughs> like that? <laughs> It's so funny. Uh, because because Timothy Zahn knows we have to know what a cool, awesome guy Thrawn is. Uh, but Leia tells Card that they have destroyed 22 asteroids so far. But the energy signals from the attack indicated as many as 287. Card says he's willing to risk the asteroids to land. But Bill Eblis says it's a no-go. Card then offers a trade. New pertinent information... For a few minutes talking with Mara, 
Leia accedes, and Card lets them know that uh, they've already they've already done it. They already got all the asteroids. The smugglers had spotted them during Mazik's hit on Bill Bringy. There were only twenty-two being arranged. So now they have to make good on. The I, I like how bad a negotiator a talent card is because he's like, okay, I have some information for you, but only if you let me talk tomorrow. Okay, our counteroffer is we don't let you talk tomorrow. Can you give <laughs> right. us the information anyway? Well, okay, says, but only okay. because you won't let me talk tomorrow. <laughs> that's why he's that's why he's the best in the business. You know, he he, he zags you. Um, there's just, just when you think he might he might negotiate, he decides to give up. <laughs> so they stall a little bit. Bell Iblis asks Card why he wants to talk with her in the first place, and Card says mostly to let her know that she hasn't been deserted. Like how Card felt on the Chimera before Mara rescued him. And with that, something clicks into place with Leia. And she immediately says to let Card land. And uh, so perhaps we'll let Leia explain it all. I'm just going to read this block. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this block of text. Uh, it's the cloning Garm. I know how Thrawn's grown <laughs> them so fast. I love him Garm. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Garm. I love being reminded of that. Uh, I know how Thrawn's growing them so fast. It's the Force. Don't you see? When you make an exact duplicate of a sentient being, there's a natural resonance of something set up through the Force between that duplicate and the original. That's what warps the mind of a clone that's been grown too fast. There's not enough time for the mind to adapt to the pressure on it. It can't adjust, so it breaks. And Ronnie, I'm going to ask you a question. What, What does this mean... Uh, well, I would say it's uh, bullshit, but um, I'm not an expert. <laughs> I don't. There's some sort of resonance between the. Is that like? Is original. that like Zahn trying to explain what a soul is, or what? I think that might be what he's touching on. Um, I, I mean, I don't know why. Why is it that that is what warps the mind instead of being force grown in a vat in two weeks? Right? Like, I, I think that part would be the part that makes your brain a little, you know, squishy. <laughs> you know, it hasn't had the years to have its grooves worn in. Like a, like a mind that, you know, like a brain that, that develops normally as we know it would. Um, it's just very odd. But the point of all of this is that it, Leia makes yeah, this connection. Yeah, I was about to say, like, the, the line, that's what warps the mind of a quote that's been grown too fast. Well, isn't saying that it's been grown too fast suggesting that there's already something too wrong fast. going on? <laughs> right. It's like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's right there. You said it. It's grown too fast. So that's why this he's does, fucked up. This is how Leia puts it together, though, because she's thinking of the the Chimera prison break where Leia, or rather where Luke and Mara broke Card out of jail, and they were able to use the Force just fine. While they did it. Uh, so, uh, and I, I'm not entirely sure why that, it, I don't remember exactly how she gets, makes the connection that that's what then that Thrawn has done with Mount Tantus is to surround the, uh, the entire this mountain. This is just of fucking insane. Uh, yeah. He's not, using not, the Elsevier to block the force away from the cloning tank. So 
It just makes me have the mental image of just the, all these cloning tanks just being suspended in midair, and there's just salamanders just hanging out all over the place. <laughs> well, remember that once I mean, when you get a lot of the salamiri together, like their force their force fields compound each other, so they have a wider range. So you you may not have to have them just like all I wanna, around. I want to read a short story about the Yale Samiri Wranglers because there have to be <laughs> at least a couple of them. But um, but uh, but Leia puts this together that so Mount Tantus must be uh just lousy with a Salamiri, no force, which means no mind resonance issues, which means the clones are just fine. Although this does like what happens to a clone after it exits the Salamiri bubble? Does it reconnect with its original? But it's grown now so it's not a problem i guess this 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 raised a bunch of questions that i i hope are answered but likely won't be because i feel like throughout like zon's just kind of disposing like and here's that all right we got that he's out got like way. 40 pages left how do you how do you think he's gonna explain like the the uh metaphysics of <laughs> the metaphysics of, of soul connection and cloning yeah, I don't know. He's not going to touch it. Coward that I was, he is. I was actually surprised he had an explanation at all. I thought he was just going to, like, eh, it's cloning. You figure it out for yourself. They go, they go cuckoo crazy. It's fine. Um, but anyway, with no possible way to detach any ships from the Bilbringi attack, Leia knows there's only one hope to send any help to Luke and Mara, and that's Talon Card. Leia, Ghent, and Mubvakar the Nogri meet Card at the landing pad, and Leia comes clean. Mara put together where the clones were coming from and is on planet Wayland now. All of Card's maneuvering with the smugglers to find the cloning planet is for naught, and he still owes them money. Card pretends to be the cold businessman about rescuing Mara, but Leia knows that's all a bluff. Quote, He couldn't simply walk away and abandon Mara to her death any more than he could abandon Aves or Dankin or Chin. End quote. <laughs> or Chin. <laughs> he was... He could never abandon Chin. Oh, I do the like part- how Zahn basically admits that he spent about thirty pages uh, of subplot on nothing because, yeah, uh, Card nodded mechanically. So they'd found the cloning facility on their own. All that work he'd put in organizing the other smuggling groups gone like dumped castle spice. The work, the risk, not to mention the money he'd planned to pay them with. Yep, this is a waste <laughs> of time. See, that's what good writing is. Sometimes. Plots just fizzle out because uh, they're superseded by other plots. That's exactly. good writing. That is good writing. And, you know, and the author admits it. That's fine. But Card lets them in on the crystal gravity trap job that the smugglers planned, admitting that the absence of the wild card wouldn't make much of a difference to that action. But he still needs that money. But just then, Mubvakar darts off to the nearby doorway where someone had been eavesdropping. Mubvakar this is fucking insane. <laughs> Forces him out of hiding, and it's Borsk Falia. <laughs> Bor- Borsk Falia eavesdropping from, like, from the other room like he's fucking Jay Leno trying to get the Tonight Show job. Yeah, yeah. Well, moreover, it wasn't even a matter of like he said like like that. Bell Iblis had told him that like why, that Talon Card was going to be like showing up, and it's like he I don't know. It's very odd, but anyway, he's contrived to be there. Um... And it wasn't exactly eavesdropping because he had come to beg Card to help Leia go to Wayland. Because he darkly intimates something about what's within Mount Tantus that the Bothans and the whole galaxy cannot allow to come to light. Card sees his opportunity and says, yeah, he'll do it. For 70,000 Borskfalia credits. 
Phalia hisses twice in one paragraph and then agrees to take, uh, and then, uh, and then he agrees to pay the money so that, uh, card will take Leia to Wayland to save Luke, Han and Mara. Uh, and also equivalent to dollars. That's really, that's really cheap. I have to imagine that their one credit is something more like five bucks. The way that people talk about them. Uh, but it, or also it might be that all these guys work cheap because, you know, they're, you know, they're like, the, I, just found, the, I just found it funny to imagine like Talon Carter risking his life and the lives of his entire crew over $70,000. That's going to be split among five different smuggler crews. So like at the end of the day, it's like 80 bucks <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> That'd be a good ending for the book. It's like Talon Carter realizing, <laughs> wait a minute, my share is only $95. This blows. <laughs> I spent more than that at the Tap Cafe waiting on Niles Farrier. Think about how much less I'd have if Chinhen got his brains blown out. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding, folks. Chin does not die as far as we know. At least not uh, yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. He did not die yet. That that honor still only belongs to Chris Peterson, uh, the Niles Farrier. And Niles Farrier. And I guess the Deffel. Who would have been I with guess. Niles? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's uh, so we move on to chapter twenty-four, where uh, Han is uh, casing the joint. They're, they're they're taking a look at the entrance to Mount Tantus with the macro binoculars, heavily guarded. Obviously, oh, there's not there's a... just one thing I want to add about chapter twenty-three, which is oh yeah. Um, at the very end of it, uh, let's see, basically Leia. Leia looks at Talon Cards like, uh, the words were different, but the look on Card's face was almost identical. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution. I'm not in it for you, Princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. Han had said what, that to her after that stormy escape from the first Death Star. At the time, she'd believed it. It was just, yup, he's Han Solo. Get it, folks? <laughs> he's a smuggler with a heart of gold. Do you get it? Do you get it? Huh? You fucking morons. You <laughs> juvenile idiots. You simpletons. I'm, I'm George Lucas. <laughs> I'm George Lucas, and here's the biggest pile of slop you're, you're getting this year. Go buy another TIE fighter, you moron. <laughs> I imagine George Lucas has no time for Star Wars fans. Oh, not a Fan, bit. I mean, fanboys was a lie. Well, I was go- I was gonna say the reason why he greenlit fanboys was because it made them look so bad. Because and he hates them. Why do you think he sold Star Wars so he could make Star Wars even worse? Exactly. So so that he could just pull the make bait and switch. Fans even more irritating. He does this because he hates us all. Uh, meanwhile, David Felony loves Star Wars fans, and look what that gets you. You have to have contempt for your audience, is what I'm saying. Well, there's a reason Dave Felony wears a cowboy hat. It's to hide his lobotomy scars. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. That's right, that's right. That's the real breaking news. That's what should have been in Variety Fair. Dave um, Filoni, sufferer of lobotomy. <laughs> so, uh, world's f- only known voluntary lobotomy. That's the new hit Hollywood uh, procedure to get a lobotomy. 
Yeah, you get the Ozempic weight loss drug and a lobotomy, and you're you're set for life. Yeah, I mean, most of those kids on Stranger Things, they've got lobotomies. I, 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 again, we went with this before we started recording. We, we don't have to go into the celebrity news, other than Dave Felony. Um, but anyway. So. Dave, but if Dave Felony's your idea of a celebrity, you've got problems. <laughs> the guy, uh, the or, guy who... The guy who... The guy who the guy who's the third most annoying guy at a steakhouse. <laughs> oh. Has his own initials on his belt buckle. And, uh, of course, the other ones are Kevin J. Anderson and Timothy Zahn. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, but, uh, so Han, the Han is taking a look. They're casing the joint at Mount Tantus. The main entrance is far too... Uh, fortified and guarded, so they're going to have to find another way. There's also a village visible nearby uh, where they take a look with the binoculars, and some Psadans have started gathering. Han can't make out what's going on, so Luke tries to look through the device using Jedi vision powers, and he says he thinks they're passing around a data pad. Um, This is about the time Luke notices that Mount Tantus is dark. Dark the same way Mirkur was dark. Cut off from the Force. Han thinks it must be a trap, and suggests they get out of there. But Luke insists they have to press on, noting that Mara and he did pretty okay on Mirkur. You know, he's right. Zahn had had actually uh, been impressing me with these chapters because his uh, typical uh, poor descriptions hadn't reared their ugly head. Uh, We get a a bad one in in, uh, chapter 24, though, with Han grunted and shifted his view to the village poking out of the clearing down below them. Most of the buildings would squat alien-looking things, with one really good-sized <laughs> one facing into an open square. Yep. I I often walk down the street and think, man, that's a good-sized-looking building right there. Well, I often think, I, I look around my neighborhood and think, these sure are human. These these look like human buildings. <laughs> just, I mean, if so, you start doing that, you're just, people are just going to think you're a pod person. Describing anything as alien-looking... You have to do better. You gotta give me some kind of physical description. I don't know what you mean. No one knows what you mean when you say it's alien looking. This is something is sh- that we actually brought up in chat earlier in the week is that maybe Timothy Zahn has been compensating for a lifelong lack of uh, clear vision. So <laughs> he doesn't describe things because he doesn't know what they look like. That's right. He's he has this profound macular degeneration. And he, he's he Mr. Really, Magoo. Uh, <clears throat> he's Mr. Magoo. <laughs> to him, these are vivid, detailed descriptions because that's all he has. Oh yeah, that's right. We might be onto something. Um, Luke and the Han come back from scouting the joint. Uh, Mara is practicing levitating stones when Luke returns from scouting with Han. And they agree to start looking for that ventilation intake that Mara says should be on the mountain somewhere. Ooh, one Meanwhile, thing I want to point out. Uh, yeah. You know, we always get, we always like uh, to count how many times a stomach tightening shows up. Yeah. Because that's evidence of uh, pregnancy or pregnancy complications. <laughs> we, we, right. get a, we get a new one. Uh, Han has his st- stomach curling up inside him. Oh, which I guess wow. is like the, which is like. Maybe boys only or something. I don't know. I think that's what. Yeah, that's what happens to boys when the baby is coming. It's very yeah. different. Yeah, um, that's a good catch. Thank you. <clears throat> um, I, I only take notes on the important stuff. It's so it's so funny. I just want to 
stress how funny it is that the phrase stomach tightened only appeared in this book and it appeared early on as like a little red herring thing to introduce that Leia's uh, labor was beginning, but that it has appeared like a dozen times since then, <laughs> like almost like Zon, <laughs> like good, it was in his brain. Writing. It was in his brain after that. It just keeps showing up. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we cut to Aves who was piloting the Etherway through Bilbringi Air Traffic Control, or Space Traffic Control, I guess, uh, under the name Garrett's Gold. Ever since Mazik's raid, civilian freighters are now channeled through specific space lanes bounded by force fields. So they'll dock, unload their cargo, and get into some uh, backup positions for when Mazik's crew grab the crystal gravity trap from the main command center. Samuel Tomas Gillespie is riding along and asks Aves what the deal is with Card. Aves insists that, hey, look, Card isn't here, but it must have been important for him not to join them, and that's that. Aves has total faith in Card. Uh, I guess th- I guess that there's a, 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 a personality trait for him. But now we, we, we cut. Get a, we get a bunch of names of, uh, of ships that I want to highlight. Cause oh, please, yes. We have the Starry Ice, the Dawn Beat, the Lastry's Ort, and my favorite, the Amanda Fallow. Amanda Fallow, I think I saw them open for Hole in 94 at, <laughs> in uh, Lollapalooza, folks. Ah, uh, yeah. Amanda Fallow. Uh, that was one of my favorite Bart's prank calls to Mo. Hey, Amanda Fallow, I, uh, I think they did a split EP with the Counterline Crush, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting references no one will understand. I, I, just, I love it. I love it. It's it's. Uh... <laughs> you had to have watched... You had to have watched uh, at least four deep into the TV show Freaky Links to understand that joke. <laughs> I was going to guess you had to have watched a lot of 120 minutes to get it, but uh, Freaky Links is also really good. Uh, but we, we now cut to... There's there's a lot of uh, perspective switching in these final chapters as, as we're... You know, all the threads are kind of being woven together. That's because now cut back like, to almost all of the main characters are all in one place now. That's a good point. Yeah, 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 you're right. And all of the supporting uh, characters are in another place. Yeah. Uh, so we're now back to Wedge in his X-Wing as he briefs the rest of Rogue Squadron on their role in the Bill Brainy attack. First wave flanking Admiral Akbar's command cruiser. All of the rogues acknowledge crisp and firm. And, and I feel that's the phrase used, crisp and firm. Uh, and I feel like Zahn missed the opportunity to throw in something like a, like a ripe gurumba fruit. Or something in there that would have been. I think that would have been fun. Uh, but Wedge is pleased that they all seem primed and Look, ready. Zod is only concerned about finishing this fucking book at this point. <laughs> He's got Betsy breathing down his neck. You're <laughs> not going to include fun details. He's, yeah. he's, he's burning through the plot. Uh, so Jansen chimes in to ask Wedge whether their little ruse outside the Mumbry Storve uh, worked, and the disinfo got to Thrawn. Wedge shrugs. And figures that, hey, even if the smugglers were on the up-and-up and and didn't sell that information on, that means that they'll be up to something that distracts or ties down some of the Imperial forces. So, it's all good. The Star Cruisers are getting ready to, uh, are getting into launch formation. So, Wedge orders Rogue Squadron in place to begin the jump. In two and a half hours, they would drop into Bill Bringy and surprise the hell out of the Imperials. Or will they? Smash cut to the Chimera where Peleon is skimming the reports from Tangreen. 
It all looks like the attack is coming. They're doing quite well, aren't they, Captain? Thrawn com commented from beside him. A very convincing performance all around. Plan at this point is practically choking on his own rage, but keeps it together and respectfully insists again that this is not a performance, pointing out that several capital ships and fighter squadrons are assembled and likely jump off, likely jump off points to hit Tan Green. Thrawn cuts him off, declaring that the ships he's referring to already left days ago to reposition, and what intelligence is seeing is a smokescreen of a few men in uniforms to confuse the spies. Pelea knows he won't have he, he Pelea knows he won't move Thrawn who has chosen to ignore all the evidence in favor of his hunch. You don't have to believe, the Grand Admiral told him, but per be prepared to be proved wrong. The Chimera I feel like how they just, just developed a moldered Scully relationship where Poyan just lays out all of these logical arguments as to why something is something, and uh, and then Thrawn just like starts drawing a big-titty Jersey Devil and is like, nope. <laughs> and I was like, Zahn has also like, I mean... At least, most of the time, Thrawn will get a scene where he explains his reasoning. And it might be stupid, but Zahn does that for us, at least. Um, this time, it is totally just like, whatever Thrawn is thinking, he, he picked up some vibes from Bell Iblis's decor choices, and that's what he's going on. <laughs> for Like, this is entirely what he's basing it on. And, but he's right, you know? So we gotta give him that. Um... The Chimera I, was about to, I was about to make a joke, but I remembered it's on the list of things I'm not allowed to talk about on the podcast, so we'll skip that one. <laughs> thank you I'll, for I'll your tell Dad you what it was after the show. Yes, thank you for your professionalism. Uh, so the Chimera Battle Ready launches into hyperspace to meet the rebellion at Bill Bringy. I love that the final battle is at a place as stupidly named as Bill Bringy. Bill Bringy uh, has to have the most luxurious Wikipedia page. <laughs> Back on Wayland, uh, the Nogri have proven excellent pathfinders, and Han, Chewie, Luke, Lando, Mara, and the droids make it to a large structure on the side of the mountain that looks like a turbo laser turret. Han spots a computer outlet on the structure with the binoculars and is about to take R2 up to it when Chewie rumbles a warning. Distant blaster fire can be heard, but much closer a group of Minarishi are approaching. Han takes the bleached clawbird symbol of Parley out of his jacket. I remember we acquired that uh, last time with the, the meeting with the aliens. And takes C-3PO to chat with them. Lando takes R2 to the structure's computer jack. Mara takes a moment to ask Luke that uh, request of Luke that no matter what happens, he can't let her go over to Kabayoth's side, even if it means killing her. Kabayoth can't force you to his side, Mara, not without your cooperation. Are you real? Are you sure of that? Really sure? Luke grimaced. There was so much he didn't know about the Force. No. <laughs> now, now here's here's a here's a couple sentences I want to share. He'd expected a sarcastic comment or at least a withering glare. He wasn't prepared for her to reach out and grip his hand. Now, am I talking about Luke Skywalker and Mara Jade, or am I talking about Daniel and his wife? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am always expecting a withering glare. Uh, yeah, yeah, good, good one. Um, <laughs> Mara talks a good one. Yeah, Mara talks a little more about what the Emperor's last command might mean when they're in there. But Luke is confident that Mara can stand up to the memory he left behind inside her. I do Hans like how back. I do like how Luke is matter of factly. It's like you, you know, you can uh, 
you do you you don't have to follow that voice in your head that's keeps on telling you to <laughs> right. kill me, right? You, you can, know that. You just not do that. <laughs> also, um, uh, also in my notes, uh, I know that everyone wants to know, like, is uh, Timothy Zahn going to use the P word in reference to to C three PO in this chapter? Oh, and the answer is yeah. no, with a but, because Zahn yes. has come up with a new P word to to uh, describe C three PO's speech, and it's the word primly. Primly, yes, so everyone's primly, primly and primly, primly and primly. C three PO's beautiful twin daughters. I'm just, I'm just imagining Betsy just like pleading with Zon, please come up with some way to describe <laughs> some his other word, prissy. <laughs> well, what about no? You, you absolutely could not print that in a Star Wars book, sir. <laughs> okay, primly. All right, we'll just we'll we'll accept it just to move move this along. Um, I I C three PO is used so infrequently in these books, and like every time it's just like shitting on him. It's it's spectacular. Every time it is, it's you know either Hans insulting him or just the text the the omnip- the omniscient third person narrator is is crapping on him. It's really it's really something. Um. Han gets back and say they and says they've picked up some allies, sort of. Four Minarishi, armed with knives and crossbows, followed them to this location. Not to help, but because they wanted to attack the Imperials and figured they could just use the same way in that the lunchbox guys do. Um, R2-D2 announces through C-3PO that there is an attack taking place at the main entrance, with several reports pinging around the computer system. Psadons from the city are attacking and demanding the release of their lord, Kabaoth. They also appear to be armed with blasters, missile launchers, and thermal detonators. Han is pleased that they have a distraction dropped in their laps, and R2 shuts down the air intake blowers so that Luke can cut into the grate. The Minarishi follow them in wordlessly, and Luke orders Ekrakor to detach a couple of Nogri to serve as guides and assist in whatever attack they mount. One Nogri stays behind at the entrance as a rear guard. Just then, the wild card arrives at Wayland. Cards spotting the mountain in the distance that the sliced Imperial nav feed points them to. See, they're 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 coming in smuggler style, nice and legit. They've they've called into the Imperial air control. Um, there's no way to try to call them on the comm link without alerting the Imperials. But Mobvacar has an idea. Nogri have flashing light recognition signals that can be performed with the ship's landing lights. So Chen and Corvus are told to watch out for any responding signal while Card flashes his headlights. Uh, Corvus spots it, Mobvacar confirms, and Card prepares to feign a repulsor lift malfunction uh, as the Imperial Air Traffic Control reroutes them to a secondary landing pad some way past the mountain since there's an attack going on. But uh, landing the wild card in the woods just next to uh, where they got the signal, Ghent is tasked with talking to any Imperials who uh, are going to ask about what's going on and, and insisting that they got it all under control. Uh, Leia and Card hop out with Mubvakar, who checks in with the Nogri on rear guard duty. Uh, the others are no more than 15 minutes ahead. So just as Leia is about to rush in, Chin comes down the landing ramp with Sturm und Drang, the, uh, the, the, uh, castrated Vornsker, uh, hunting dog. I, I do like how has. they're described as long-legged quadruped animals. And again, this is like the third time they have not been described. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's yeah, amazing. Is it going to get worse? It's going to be like these vaguely shaped carbon-based <laughs> life forms. <laughs> these They were followed by a couple of uh, hazy blotches. What is that? Anyway, talent card. Yeah. Fucking uh, Kickstarter to get Timothy's on a pair of fucking glasses. <laughs> McCard intends to use the hunting dogs to find Mara using their force sensitivity. Uh, but with this latest addition to their crew, Leia and Card enter the air duct to find their friends within the Emperor's store. I do like how the Vomsker are basically like regular dogs, only instead of like needing a piece of clothing, they just need to smell the force. Yeah, pretty so, much. So basically, Card could have just had a regular dog. He could have just <laughs> give, given them a piece of Mara Jade's clothing. It's like, go find her. Like a card could have had himself a couple of blood tick red hounds, got a couple, a couple of, a couple of hounds help him hunt. But no, that's what <clears throat> Daniel actually sounds like. Yeah, that's my his, real his unaffected radio accent. Radio voice to put on. <laughs> when I really let my hair down, you know, that's when. That's, that's when I start, you know, down. I start talking about an old fat, like an old fat racist sheriff in a seventies movie. Yeah, the reason that you use your radio voice is that you know that if you use your real voice, people would be throwing their MP3 players out within 40 <laughs> seconds. People would be people would be throwing their vintage MP3 players that they use to listen to podcasts because it's 2007. Just get just get a torrent <laughs> of one-star iTunes reviews. Only listen to first 30 seconds. Hated the guy's voice. Hate, hated we'll voice. Never listen again. <laughs> <laughs> what what is this a Star Wars park podcast or in the heat of the night? <laughs> if I wanted to listen to jackasses with annoying voices, I'd listen to my brother, my brother, and me. <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just gratuitous shots fired at people I find to be very annoying. Personal, yeah. Just you know. Uh, and I, I don't know if they have the same kind of rabid fan base as they used to. We can probably get away with shitting on them these days. We'll, well most see. Of them, most of them committed suicide in that uh, mass uh, death event a couple of years ago. <laughs> yes. You know, they put out, put out their, uh, their Air Jordans and they were told that if they drank the Kool-Aid that they'd be met by Travis McElroy at the gates of heaven. That's right. This was, Yeah, they, they, they drink the Kool-Aid. They put on their, uh, their away team outfits and when they wake up, they'll be in West Virginia. Uh, sadly, <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen. Hey, I said uh, but heaven, anyway. not hell, folks. Oh, now. It's lovely country. Uh, yeah, for redneck but... cannibals. <laughs> I still... The Prove gall, me wrong, wrong turn series. The, the gall someone from Wisconsin has to do this act is just amazing to me. One, you live in Alabama, and two, you're going to Thanksgiving in Indiana, the Alabama of the North. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you have no, you have no counter argument. I have no, I have no response to that other than to say we have concluded the recap section of the podcast. Uh, things we are things are heating the up. Part where where Ronnie makes fun of Daniel. The part where Ronnie makes fun of Daniel even more. <laughs> yes, because that, now that we're moving on from the recap, we got that out of the way. We did our homework. Blech. Now it's time to get to the fun stuff. The stuff everybody came here for. Because you see, Ronnie and I are 
let's say we're adherents of a certain mode of mental exercise, a manner of sharpening our minds to their most pristine, crystalline acuity. That's right, as iron sharpens iron, so do the minds of Daniel Dottie and Reverend Ronnie Gardaki sharpen one another in the glorious realm of combat that is debate. Welcome to Into the Thronderdome, our debate segment where two men enter, two men leave, and the truth is nowhere to be found. Uh, so, Ronnie, what are we going to be going tete-a-tete about on uh, tonight's Into the Thronderdome debate segment? Baby animals versus baby humans. So, <laughs> all right. Baby animals versus uh, just regular babies. Okay, so it's, it's a bit like uh, French toast versus toast, I guess. Uh no, I don't like that, because uh, I think I'm supposed to be arguing for babies, and everyone knows French toast is better yeah, you, than regular you chose, toast. Yeah, uh, you chose babies. I did. I, I chose babies. I chose babies in my life, and I chose babies tonight. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be more interesting if we let you begin, though. So, Ronnie, sell me on baby animals. What's the big deal? What's what's going on? Well, for one thing, any... Any grouping of, of creatures that gets their own issue of Ranger Rick and zoo books can't be all bad. <laughs> I agree. Rhinos are great. Secondly, uh, these baby animals, you may think they're they're just cute. Well, they are, they are all, all incredibly cute, but they're also industrious and resourceful. Because if you think about it, how long does it take for a human baby to like walk and talk and shit? It's like takes them like a, a year, year and a half at, at least. Whereas if you're a, if you're like a baby deer or a baby cow, you have to, you have to get up and start walking like 10 minutes after you're born. Yeah. There's, there's no time for you to like fucking dawdle and, and be uh, cared for by your parents. You gotta, you gotta join the herd or, you know, get eaten. Which I think, I think if we treated human babies the same way, we'd have a lot less problems in society. <laughs> All right. Uh, so is that your first salvo there? That's my first salvo. Okay. All right. So I will, I will counter, I will counter with this. Um... So you're right that human ba- you, you've singled out human babies in the world of babies in that they are kind of, well, they're a little more helpless than uh, the babies. Although I would push back on that a little bit because when you're talking about marsupials, um, so marsupial babies are born while they're still fetuses, basically. And that's when they, they crawl their way into the pouch and latch onto a teat there and they can they finish their development outside of the mother's body, but, but in the pouch. So I think if you want to be technical about it, every marsupial baby is born even more helpless than a human baby. So Yeah, but you have to journey into that like pouch or whatever and, and grab out of that teeth. That takes I mean, some I, skill. Yeah, they have special little claws that help them make the trip. Uh, the human babies have fingernails? Come on. They got, they got fat little hands. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, the point being, uh, it's a little bit of an accident of uh, evolution that human babies are as helpless as they are. But, oh, I, I see where I'm going with this. This ties into 
a wider point I'm going to make, which is that, Ronnie, I think humans are the most baby of all animals. Now, hear me out. Uh, So if you like baby animals and you think they're great, wouldn't the animal that's most like a baby be the best animal? Yeah. So human beings are kind of like that. Um, So not only do we have, like, we have our helpless babies, that's because our our heads are so big that uh, if the if a fetus is left to develop to the point where its muscles would be big enough to allow it to walk and run like a, say a, a, a newly born uh, calf or a deer um, that the head would be too big to actually pass out of the mother. Um, frankly, you're just not going to be able to do that with the way human beings are built. They got to come out earlier rather than later. Now, now a point I'm going to make here though, is that, not only does that make, you know, it makes babies babies, it, their helplessness is part of their charm, but um, there's a phenomenon in, in in sort of developmental biology called neoteny. And this is, the, this is the phenomenon where the adult form of an animal retains juvenile traits, or rather traits that are shared juvenile traits with other close relatives. If you think about those, uh, like, like axolotls, the salamander that has gills, that's a, that's a neotenous adaptation because all salamanders uh, have gills when they're very young and most then lose them. The axolotl hangs on to the gills, right? It, it what, retains what a juvenile trait. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, it's salamiri. They retain a juvenile trait. Uh, it, it, even into their adult form. And human beings are a lot like that. That's we have these giant bulbous heads that are like baby heads compared to any other animal. Well, we have... Some of us have giant baby heads. Some of us <laughs> have, have completely normal looking heads. We have relatively flat faces. Homo sapiens have relatively flat faces. There's not an extended muzzle or anything like that. Uh, we have kind of uh, a relatively flat nose. We have a high brow. We have a forehead. All of these traits are much closer to what infant apes are like. If you look at an infant ape skull, it looks more human than an adult ape's skull does. In a very real way, every human is a grown is is just a giant baby. So when we talk about babies, we're talking about the full accomplishment of the human race. We're talking about if you see an old person, you're looking at an old baby. Isn't that nuts? It's 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 crazy. What an amazing achievement. Babies, you know what? Babies are going to get credit for everything human beings have achieved, and that's why they're better than baby animals. Because who gives a shit if you can run within four hours of being born if you can also claim credit for having written more than a feeling? I don't know. I mean, for one thing... Wouldn't the wouldn't the ultimate baby be the boss baby then? Because if we if we posit that babies are just smaller versions of of the adult version, then clearly the the ultimate baby would be the the boss baby because it's a baby version of what a, a, an adult human is. You know, they go to work, they they uh, they they let capitalism extract their soul out piece by piece. I mean that that's 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 living as a human, buddy. And uh, let's not forget that the boss baby is terrible, voiced by a 
by admitted murderer uh, uh, Alec Baldwin. Admitted manslaughterer <laughs> Alec Baldwin. <laughs> potato, potato, he still uh, pulled the trigger. R.I.P. whoever that was he killed. I don't um, think he pulled the trigger either. He's the, He was the director. <laughs> no, he definitely pulled the trigger. And the reason he got into such shit is that he's a producer. Oh, that's right. That's right. He did pull the trigger. Okay, well, anyway, sorry, not to relitigate that. Again, let's leave off the Hollywood news. Uh, Hollywood is the only news that's important. Um, <laughs> because Hollywood is, is, uh, pre- is, is home to the most... Hated of all babies, the Nepo babies. You know, that's true. Yeah, you know, Maya Hawk. Uh, um, uh, let's see who else. Uh, Wyatt Russell. Uh, Hunter Biden. <laughs> you know, all so the Nepo argu- babies. So your your argument your argument against human babies is that there was never an animal Nepo baby. Yeah, there's no there's no baby that's that's famous in the animal kingdom for being a baby. They they have to they have to be they have to like succeed or fail on their own merits. There's no hmm. there's no like fucking gorilla that's born on third base. <laughs> I don't know if you're born to like a particularly like well situated uh you know uh like maybe tribe, if you're group. maybe if you're like King Kong's son, but I doubt it. <laughs> well, fair That's, enough. Because well, then my... you get like the whole then you get like the whole royalty aspect to it. It's like, like does he become King Kong after King Kong? You know, kicks the bucket. Well, I was going to ask if that's the story with Mighty Joe Young because he is not a very talented giant ape. But if he's King Kong's kid, then it makes a little more sense. You Mighty Joe Young that that movie sucked. Wasn't there another? <laughs> Wasn't there another, like, movie about somebody trying to take care of a giant ape? Uh... Oh, yeah, I, it was I called believe... Robin Williams and Jack. Oh, there you go. Back on your Robin Williams hating. All right, we got we got, we got to wrap this up so we well, just don't go Well, he's a hairy primate that's, that's uh, no longer with us. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, as always, we leave it to the listener to decide whose argument was the least specious and stupid, and so it therefore wins the debate. Um, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, episode of Thronderdome. We're so excited to be coming in on the exciting conclusion of this whole, well, and not the whole project, because we're going to keep going, but the whole initial idea behind this project um, of, uh, of uh, reading the yeah, Thrawn trilogy. Yeah, and remember that Air of the Empire and its sequels are the height of of uh, Star Wars uh, <laughs> literary uh, perfection, so you can literally say that after this after this uh, season of the show, it's all downhill from here. Yes, the unanimously regarded high water mark of Star Wars tie-in fiction. We've already covered it, folks. We're gonna finish it up for you, and the real dregs will come later. Uh, but uh, on that note. Uh, we wish everyone a, uh, a happy holiday season. Uh, this is being recorded slightly before Thanksgiving, but we'll come out later because, you know, I got, I got turkey to eat, pal. I don't want to sit in front of a computer, you know? Um, but, uh, so for all, for all the, all the end of your holidays from, from Thanksgiving on into, you know, you know, Valentine's day, 
we'll we'll say enjoy your holidays that you celebrate uh and uh you may tolerate the ones that you don't in the spirit of secularism that we have here in these united states um i i think <laughs> it would be much better for everyone that instead of instead of having uh political arguments at the uh at the old thanksgiving table you you talk about how much you hate the no gree absolutely I'm, right i'm gonna There's try nothing... to get, i'm gonna try to get my family uh discussing that uh on uh thursday but uh i don't know how successful i'll be because i'm sure i'll be met with a flurry of questions like what are the no gree what are you talking about what's star <laughs> wars etc <laughs> so you'll have you'll have your hands full explaining a lot to your family on Thanksgiving. And I'm we wish that to all of our... Lot of, I'm going to show them a lot of photos of ugly, gray monsters on my phone. That's exactly that right. It, we would urge all of our listeners to monopolize the, the dinner table conversation, explaining what Thronderdome is, who who the who we are, uh, how good-looking and, and handsome we are, how good we sound on the radio, that kind of thing. Yeah, Daniel sure should have to explain all of his uh, hick relatives in El- in, uh, in uh, Indy, Indy Bama uh, what he does for a uh, non-living. <laughs> I'll have to explain the uh, the whole concept of RSS. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But uh, <laughs> until next time, until next time, everyone. Um, please uh, enjoy Star Wars or don't. We don't care. Good night. We we really don't. Good night. <laughs>